Well, it's a great, great day. And again, happy Father's Day. I'm very excited about the Father's Day message. You know, if you've been walking around at all looking, you've seen sort of the theme of today, all-star dads. What does that look like? What does that mean? And so I'm going to be talking about all-star dads today. In fact, you know, anytime you're going to deal with anything that may have a negative element to it, I'm of the persuasion that it's good to go ahead and deal with a negative element up front, and I will do that simply for this reason. Uh, There's a story uh, out of the Old Testament. Some of you are familiar with it. You read over it. Maybe you're going to think more deeply about it today than you ever have before. And so we're going to see a negative example, actually, in the life of somebody that's quite familiar to us in the Bible. But then we're going to turn and we're going to talk about what do all-star dads really, really look like. And, you know, I want to just say here at the beginning a couple of things. By the way, uh, without doing this, I can look out and see all of you guys from the front to the back, and that's nice, and that is always comforting because I've always wondered if maybe you just put a cardboard image of yourself in the seat and slipped out to a movie while I was sharing the message. So apparently, you know, you weren't doing that. I can see you now, and and that's a good thing. Uh, The other thing I want to just say to you dads, way to go, way to go. You know, we all, as dads, just like in every other area of our life, we don't always get it right. We would love to be perfect, but we know that we are not. But I look at so many of you dads, and I just want you to know I am proud of you. I see your example. I see your faithfulness in church, your faithfulness in ministry. I see the way that you love on your kids. And I want to just say to you, way to go. I'm so proud of you. So many of our dads here, you know, are heroes to their own families. And really, people, without you maybe even knowing it, where you work and uh, business associations that you have, look up to you and admire you because of the kind of dad and the kind of Christian, for that matter, that you really are. Now, uh, all of us are going to, you know, learn some things today. Uh, You're not going to know, I don't think, everything I'm going to share with you already. As we talked about last week, if you're going to grow, you got to be a continual learner. And there's some things that you hopefully, and I hopefully, will learn today that's going to help us because this is the reality It's never too late to become the kind of dad that you want to be. It's just not. And some of you are saying, well, you know, uh, Pastor Jeff, I hear what you're saying, but my kids are grown now, and and mine are too. But it's never too late to be the kind of dad that you really want to be. And it's, you know, I read a book, and I'll actually allude to this book a couple of three times in this talk, time permitting. And in this particular book, when I read it, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, you heard me mention the book before many of you have, when I read it, here's what I thought. I thought, I wish that I had read that book many, many, many years ago, but I didn't know about that book many, many years ago. I don't think it was even published many, many years ago, but I read that book and it learned, I learned so much about what I want to do implement into my own fathering. And the reason I mention that, some of you guys are going to hear something today and it's just going to trigger a thought and you're going to say, you know what? Uh, I think I could get a little bit better at that. I'm doing really well, but I think here's an area where I could improve, where I could get better. Because at the end of the day, all of us want to be what we're talking about. We all want to be all-star dads. Now, how many of you are glad that the theme for today is not perfect dads? How many of you, how many of you are pleased that's, that's perfect dads? Because uh, there'd be none. But how do you and I become all-star dads? Well, my dad, who passed away, most of you know, back in September, a sports fanatic. 
And dad got me signed up. He said, you know, I don't even remember him asking me. Maybe he did. But uh, he signed me up for T-ball when I was five years old. And, you know, way back then, believe it or not, we had real bats and real baseballs, not, you know, not clubs and rots, you know, that we, we had the real equipment. And I can remember from the very beginning just loving the sport, just loving, you know, playing T-ball. And then, you know, I went on six years old and seven years old. And about the third or fourth year, I started hearing about, you know, these all-star teams that would be selected at the end of the season, that they would take, you know, the best players off of each of the teams and form together this all-star team that would play other communities and cities and stuff. And I started thinking, as soon as I heard about it, I want to be an all-star, I want to be an all-star player. And I know that you dads feel like me. You want to be an all-star kind of dad. And we're going to talk about that. I want you to take a look at our very first verse for today before we get into our story in the Old Testament. But here's our first verse. It says this, a wise child brings joy to a father. Let's all read that together. Will you read it with me? A wise child brings joy to a father. But how many of you have found out that your kids don't always act with great wisdom? Anybody ever found that out before? How many of you have dads, you, you recognize you don't always act with good judgment? Now, I didn't ask for Brent's permission. And by the way, he moved my grandbabies to Illinois back in July, so I don't care. I'm not going to ask his permission. He moved my grandbabies away. He can get whatever, you know, I'm going to give him. But I, I can remember, you know, uh, we, we wanted to provide him with a vehicle. And we just said to all the kids, and I'm not saying you need to do this. We just said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to help you to get a reasonable first vehicle. We will provide that. Then after that, you know, you can, you can go buy whatever you want, but we'll help you get started. So for Brent, it wasn't new. It was a used Nissan truck, but it was new to him. He's very proud of this little pickup truck. And he had, you know, around this same time, he, he, he had a girlfriend that she lived in another neighborhood about five minutes away. And our kids have always had curfews, and Brent had a curfew. And just like uh, a kid would do, a teenager would do, he would stretch it out to the very last moment. And then it'd be like, oh, because he knew, you know, the shoe's going to fall if I come in late. He would wait to the very last possible second. And I'm not proud of this, and he's not here to defend himself, but I'm just telling you, he would speed home. He would turn out of her neighborhood, go down a straight line, and he would fly down about three-mile road, do a left, a right, back into our neighborhood, be settled back in. And so, you know, he was showing up in the nick of time, but barely in the nick of time. Now, what I did not know that I found out later from a dear friend who was a deputy sheriff (laughs) is that on two consecutive nights, the deputy sheriff, who I knew, not as well as the other one I'll tell you about, but the one that I knew, tried on two different occasions to catch up with Brent as he was speeding home to make his curfew. And he couldn't catch him. Not the first night, not the second night, the third night with backup. (laughs) And I can remember sitting in the living room and my phone goes off. And my good friend, who's the deputy sheriff, who is now involved, calls And he says, hey, Jeff, just want to let you know, in case Brent does not tell you, two consecutive nights, the third night, we got him. (laughs) And I'm just, I'm like, oh, boy. 
I'm like, you know, and then I have to tone. Yeah, as, a, as a dad, you ever have to do this? Settle yourself down. Just, mm. I had to, you know, bring my, my amps down. And then apparently he knew because of my friendship with the backup who actually slid his car in front of his truck. I found out later. Knew that he would call me. So as soon as he walked into the foyer of the house, this is what he did. You got it, buddy. I've got me a new truck. And this is, I'm going to enjoy driving this truck. Well, you know, the Bible says that a wise, a wise child brings joy to a father. You know, kids will from time to time make unwise choices, unwise decisions. But, you know, I've lived long enough to know that uh, our kids are not the only one that has cornered the market in foolishness. Uh, us dads, we, we have over time acted without good judgment. But uh, again, we're going to learn some things today. I'm going to start with a negative example, and then we're going to get really positive. Because here's what I know. We've got great dads here and dads who want to get better. And I want to get better. And I'm right there with you. And so I want to talk to you, first of all, about a king who could not make the all-star team. A king out of the Bible, out of the Old Testament, who could not make the all-star team and his name is David. And you say, all right, Jeff, you know, you must. I know it's probably been a crazy week, and, you know, surely you have, you know, personalities confused. How could you not say that David will not make the all-star team? I'm not saying that, and I'll touch on some of his tremendous qualities, but in terms of, of fathering, David would never really be able to hoist an MVP kind of trophy as it related to his parenting. Now, the story of King David is without question filled with plenty of twists and turns, and I'm just going to hit on it, you know, briefly before we get to the positive. Here's the story, and I'll just share it with you. You can go back and read it later on. David, as you well know, is a warrior king. Among other people at that day and in our day, in fact, probably more so in our day, David was without question a man's man. Many of you will recall the time in David's life when every other guy scattered. Soldier, not just, I mean, well-equipped, well-trained soldiers would scatter anytime they heard the threats of Goliath. Not only when David walks up one day, does he not scatter, he actually chooses that he will face Goliath, this giant that had been threatening Israel, the people of God. And he not only responded to the threat, he fought Goliath without hesitation, took him down, much to the, de- to the delight of the entire nation of Israel. If you remember, Saul is the king at that point. As they come back into Israel, you know, back from these country roads, back into the city, uh, they were saying, and this is where the jealousy, and this is a whole other story, that Saul began to build up because they would say, Saul has slain his thousands. But what did they say of David? But David has slain tens of thousands. Like, you know what? Saul did a pretty good job, but David is our man. So this is not a lightweight. This is a warrior. He becomes a warrior king. Certainly, King David made some mistakes in his life. We know that, yet he sincerely loved God. And he was incredibly devoted to the causes and purposes of God. In fact, this is what you've got to know about David, which is when I get to the point that I'm going to get to, it is shocking in so many ways that, that David was so zealous to please and honor God that the remembrance of David in the Bible is this. It says, not just in the Old Testament, but it is also found in the New Testament when it says that David was known as a man after God's own heart. So here he is. He's a warrior. He becomes a warrior king. David was also a tremendous leader. 
In fact, if there was any kind of great initiative that ever needed to be advanced, then he's the man for the job. In, in fact, when you think about the life of David, I want all of you guys, everybody, but especially you guys to get this. If, if you're thinking about the kind of guy that other guys would aspire to become more like, it was David. He had his act together in so many areas of his life that other guys would look at David and say, man, if I could only be the kind of warrior, if I could only be the kind of leader, if I could only be the kind of guy, the bravery, if I could only be more like David, but just like most people, David also had an Achilles heel, and ironically, it was in his parenting. David was remarkably uninvolved. Do you hear that word? Uninvolved in the lives of his kids. It's shocking, really. David, this guy who was on top of the world in so many facets of his life, yet, as I mentioned a moment ago, he would never be able to lift any kind of trophy because he possessed superb fathering skills. In fact, when you guys hear this, what I'm going to share with you, and again, many of you are familiar with this story, but a lot of you have never heard it before. You're going to say, really, David could be good in this area and great in this area, and he could be so complete. He could have his act together in so many dimensions of his life. Could he really, could he really drop the ball? In terms of being an involved dad, well, this family catastrophe that I want to tell you about for just a brief few moments actually is found in 2 Samuel. David has lots of kids. We know this. David has lots of kids by many different wives. How many of you smell trouble already? So uh, lots of kids, a lot of different wives. And although we get the sense that most of the kids, some are smaller than others, of course, most of them are scattered throughout the palace, living in the palace, yet the king, David, is not really involved and connected with their day-to-day kind of lives. And eventually, it shows up in an appalling way, and here's how it unfolds. David has this son. His name is Amnon. Amnon. And this particular son actually is uh, very much in love with his half-sister, Tamar. Same dad, David, but a different mom. So, so Amnon is madly in love with his half-sister, Tamar. Now, Tamar is absolutely disgusted by this, uh, rightly so, in matters of Amnon's affection. So Amnon, you know, realizes that Tamar, who he's, again, madly in love with, is not going to give him the time of day. So he hatches this plan... And, and it's unreal when you think about it. It's almost like that couldn't have really happened, but it really did happen. So Amnon has this plan, he's, and he thinks, well, you know, Tamar is not going to give me the time of day, and I'm just crazy about her, so I will let my father know that I'm very, very sick. He was not sick at all, but I'll pretend to be sick, very, very ill. And then when my dad asks, a dad who's pretty disconnected, as you'll see from his kids, when I tell my dad, you know, what's going on with me, then I'll request that he send Tamar to, to my room. So David hears in the business of his life, he hears about his son, Amnon, who he has heard is very, very sick. And we know that Amnon is not sick at all. So David comes down from his office. He goes into the bedroom of Amnon and he, and he says to him, well, what's, what's wrong? I mean, what's going on? I've, I've heard that you're sick. He said, dad, I'm really, I'm really, really sick. I'm more ill than I've ever been before. And David's like, really? All right. Well, you know, based on that, is there anything, Amnon, that I could do for you? He says, well, dad, I'm glad you asked. 
Why don't... Now, listen to this. This is, this is unbelievable. He says, Dad, what I think will help me to get better if you will, because the king is the king. He's not only dad, he's king. If you will tell Tamar that she's got to come down to my room, to my bedchamber, and make me this meal, then I'll eat the meal, and I've got a feeling, Dad, that immediately I'm going to start feeling better. Now, how many of you, how many of you know you're, you're smelling trouble here? Aren't you? I mean, really? Now, let me tell you how disengaged David is. It's like, you with me on this? It's like everybody in the palace virtually knows that, that, that Amnon has this incredible passion for Tamar, but David is so disconnected, he doesn't even realize it. So he says, well, sure, and he sends Tamar to make this meal in Amnon's room, uh, you know, in hopes that he will get better. And while she is there preparing the meal at his bedside, he does the unthinkable. Amnon forces a sexual act upon Tamar. She's devastated by it. Word gets out as to the offensive behavior of Amnon. Tamar, by the way, has a brother. Some of you have heard this name. His name is, is Absalom, and he's a guy that is to be reckoned with. He's a warrior in many respects like, like his dad, and he is angry, to say the least, at what Amnon has done in terms of raping his half-sister, uh, or who is Amnon's half-sister. It is his full-blooded sister, Uh, Tamar is Absalom's full-blooded sister, same dad, David, same mother. And he is is angry like you can't believe. In fact, he is going to take matters into his own hands. He said, you know, this guy does this to uh, my sister, he's going to pay. But then he, he thinks a moment and he hits pause and he says, well, he says, I will wait. This, this is unbelievable, friends. He says, I will wait and see what my dad does to Amnon. I will wait. Surely there's going to be a harsh penalty against Amnon because of what he's done to Tamar. And Absalom waits. And the employees of the palace wait. And family members and friends wait. And they don't wait a week. They don't wait six months. Do you know how long they wait? They wait. Listen, you know what has happened? I I just described it to you. They wait for two years for David to do anything. Two years. At this point, Absalom has had enough to say he has passed the boiling point is an understatement. So he finds a couple of guys, he hires them, and he has these guys murder Amnon. So now, in the kingdom of David, there is a rape and there is a murder that has occurred. Absalom then realizes what he has done. He goes into hiding. So David has these three kids. He's got a daughter that's been violated. He's got another son that is dead, and he's got another son on the run. And to say that David's passivity and disconnect from his family is to be completely overlooked is to be in total denial. David has to bear responsibility in many respects. He can't bear responsibility completely. We know for what Amnon did, for what Absalom did. But to say that, you know, he just stood idly by in his passivity. So 
Uh, Absalom flees. He's like, you know what? Uh, They'll be looking for me. So he flees. Absalom is now in hiding. And do you know how long he's in hiding? He's just thinking any day, any day, because I have had my own half-brother murdered. Surely at any day, somebody's going to show up. They're going to find me. Dad has the guys looking for me, and they will eventually find me. But do you know how long Absalom waits? Think about this. After he flees, he waits three years, and nobody ever comes. Nobody ever says a word. I mean, how many of you understand by this point, as a dad, King David is pretty checked out, isn't he? Do you see this? And so eventually, eventually, what happens is that an advisor to King David goes to David after three years and says to the king, I think that this matter needs to finally be resolved. It's got to be. Absalom, your own son. Don't forget, David, you've got a son that is dead. You've got a daughter that's been violated. Now you've got a son that is on the run. He's in hiding. David, don't you think that now would be the time that you would just resolve this matter with your son? And David says, bring him home. Absalom comes home, anticipating this meeting between him and his dad because of everything that's happened. And certainly Absalom, he knows he knows. Uh, the persona of his, of his king dad, and he knows, you know, that uh, there can be some terrible things that are going to play out as a result of that, and he waits. But there's a part of him that he has lived with this for so long, he just wants something to finally happen to bring resolution to all of this family craziness, and he waits. And he waits two days, and he waits two weeks. I'm not making this up. He waits two months. He waits two years. His dad never even comes to have this meeting with Absalom. He's given orders that he can't live in the palace, but he never goes. Hasn't brought home, but he makes him wait. And finally, Absalom burns a guy's field because he knows that this guy has association with his dad. He burns his field, and he goes, and he hears that Absalom burned his field down. He's like, why did you do that? He said, because I know you have connections with my dad, and you go and tell my dad, I'm ready for this meeting. I'm ready for this meeting. And by the way, I will burn your fields every day, each day, until you set up this meeting with my dad. Now, Absalom's been waiting. Ephesians 4.26, look at this verse up on the screen. It says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. How many of you know that David could have saved a lot of trouble in his own family had he not let the sun go down before he resolved these issues? With Tamar and Abnon and Absalom. But he's so checked out. He is so disengaged. And again, I know it is utterly shocking that he would be this, this out of touch. Uh, Absalom, finally, a meeting happens, but by now the damage has been done. And Absalom has this feeling, hey, Dad, you have hurt me this long. You have hurt me. You've ignored. You've hurt me. You've not. You've, and I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to hurt you back. Now, there's a verse that's up on the screen here. Take a look at this verse. It tells us, and I'm jumping ahead in the story because I want to get to some positive things. Look at this verse out of 2 Samuel. It says, so Absalom, read it with me, so Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel. 
He stole the hearts of the people of Israel, and he starts hanging out at the city gates, and he says, hey, I, I, know, I, I know you're a little frustrated with my dad, and he's, this is payback now. This is revenge now. This is retaliatory. And he said, I know you're really upset with my dad, and if I were king, if I were king, wouldn't be this way. If I were king, here's what I would do. And he's getting back at his dad, and he begins to build this measure of support. And then what happens? There's a war between. There's a war between David's men. Can you imagine this? There's a war between the dad's men and the son's men, and they're in conflict with one another. They have this clash. Thousands of people die, and in the process of it, guess what happens? Absalom is killed by David's men. So now you have a daughter that's been violated, and you have two sons. In, in fact, when David, and it's almost a little too late. Look at this verse here. This too is out of Second Samuel. Take a look at it. This is how David reacted after he received news that Absalom had been killed by his men. The king was overcome with emotion. And don't you wonder, why, why didn't this happen early? Why was he so disconnected? Why was he so disengaged from his kid? He went up to the room over the gateway, and he burst into tears. And as he went, he cried, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I died instead of you, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. How many of you think that his kids would have rather heard this a long, long time ago than to now see David reacting this way? You got to say, David was good in a lot of areas, but David was no all-star dad. Now, what does an all-star dad look like? I wanted to get the negative out of the way to just show you how complicated things can get. And certainly that's an extreme example when fathers are disengaged and not connected. But I want to take a look at the exact opposite of this. And I want to just share this with you for a few moments. All-star dads are fully connected dads. All-star dads are unlike David. They are fully connected dads. And I see many of you dads that are this way with your own kids. You're connected with your kids. Uh, you go to their ball games and you go to their school events and you're, you're here. And anytime something's going on in their life, you're, you're right there with them. You're taking note. You're, you know the names of their teachers. You know their friends. You're engaged uh, in the lives of your kids. And I know that it's not an easy assignment being a dad. But I'm just saying to all of us dads here today, if we get this one right, it will be one of the most rewarding things that we could ever do in a lifetime. I know it's true. Three kids. I know it's true that kids can be demanding. Any of you found this out yet? Expensive. Draining. Challenging. And some of your kids are now saying, now when are you going to come to the good parts for us? Sneaky, mischievous, been there, done that, but I still love being a dad. I still love being a dad. read a story not too terribly long ago. I love this story. It says, finding one of her students making faces, we have many educators here, finding one of her students making faces at, at others on the playground, Miss Smith stopped to gently reprove the child. Smiling sweetly, the teacher said, Bobby... When I was a child, I was told if I made ugly faces, it would freeze, and I would stay like that. Bobby looked up and innocently replied, Well, Miss Smith, you can't say you weren't warned. <laughs> it's not easy being a dad. And as a dad, I know far too well what it's like to be pulled in a million different directions. 
You got work to do and you got bills to pay and a yard you may work in and washing the cars. But one day, let me just say this, and sort of at that point I'm in, in my own fatherhood now, just thinking more and more about these things. One day, I hate to tell you dads this, but one day all of us are going to lay on our deathbed and it will be the end of our time here on earth before we go to heaven. And I promise you, not a single one of us as dads will say, I wish I had one more day at the office. I wish I had one more day to work in the yard. I wish I could just sit down and pay the bills. I wish that I could get out and wash the cars. No, what we will want is we will want more time with our kids. And believe it or not, they not only need our full energy and engagement, they hunger for that as well. Some time ago, I was reading, and I found this story. It says, one day a boy asked his busy father, Dad, how much money do you earn in an hour? The impatient dad answered, I don't know. I guess I made about $50 an hour when I'm at work. Now, don't bother me. I'm busy. Go on. After a couple of weeks of doing odd jobs around his neighborhood, the little boy approached his dad one evening and said, Dad, here's $25. Could I buy 30 minutes of your time so you and I can play together? All-star dads are fully engaged dads. We see the negative example of David didn't even realize what was going on right under his own nose. But all-star dads know what is going on in the lives of their kids. Our, our baby is not a baby anymore. I've always wished that Audrey, when she was three, I could have froze her at three and kept her that way. And if your dad's with me on that, and now she's grown up and she's 20 years old. And I don't like it. I want her to be three again. And sometime back, we were having lunch together, and we do that quite often. We were having lunch together, and we were just talking about life and, you know, her life. And, and I, I don't like this subject, but from time to time, boys come up. And so we got to talking about some time ago, boys. And then this is what she asked me. She said, Dad, if you could handpick any boy for me, who would it be? I had two immediate thoughts. Number one, I like the direction of this question. If you could handpick any boy for me. That's my first thought. My second thought, my answer to that is easy. If you could handpick any boy for me, who would it be? That was so easy. I dropped my fork. I looked her in the eyes. And I said, nobody. Because <laughs> ain't nobody good enough for my little girl. I mentioned this book earlier, Margaret Meeker. I wish I'd read it when she was so much younger. Strong fathers, strong daughters. If you haven't read it, dads, and you've got a, a daughter, no matter what her age is, I still try to implement these principles today. In the book, I read this. Many of you men who are extraordinary performing, thinking, and reasoning at work come home exhausted, and all the skills you practice every day on the job evaporate once you come home. While grit keeps you moving forward at work and home, at, while grit keeps you moving forward at work, at home you may become a pushover, simply disengage. Dads, you must have grit at home too. Home life requires just as much tenacious engagement as work does. So consciously, listen, this is so good. So consciously spare some energy at work. And she goes on to say, I am convinced, and she's a Christian uh, pediatrician who has seen many, many thousands of young ladies. She said, I am convinced that if fathers recruited even 20% of the intellectual, physical, mental, and even emotional energy they spend at work and apply that to their relationships at home, we would live in an entirely different country. 
All-star dads are fully engaged dads. I need to hurry, but I want to give you just another thought. All-star dads show love and set limits. Dads, do not believe for a second that your kids are apathetic about being recipients of your love. In fact, here's what I would encourage you to do, and I have to remind myself to do the same. I want you to take what you think is the internal response of your kids to your verbal and physical affection, ratchet it up about 200%, and you may be getting closer. See, a lot of times, you know, even with, even with Audrey, when she was three, I'd pick her up, I'd sit her in my lap, and I, I've said this a million times, I would say, Audrey, I love it when you sit in daddy's lap. And I'd just hug on her, and I'd say, but I'm wondering, will you do this when you're six, and will you do it when you're 13, and when you're 23, and you're 33? And sometimes as dad, we think that our, our, our kids need affection when they're small, but it's so important that we continue. Let me, let me take you back to Meeker for just a moment. She said, few dads realize how important hugging is to their daughters, but I've heard countless girls tell me that how they had sex with a boy, not even a boyfriend, simply for the physical contacts, uh, contact, contact because their fathers never hugged them or showed them affection. Her body starves for you to hunger. The need is especially raw during her teen years. Fathers often assume that their teenage daughters want to be left alone and don't want to be hugged. She said, this isn't true. In fact, it couldn't be more wrong. She needs your touch during these years even more than when she was five. And I've always tried to just, having read this book and rereading high points of the book, just said, you know what? My daughter needs to feel my hug. She needs to feel her father's uh, affection. She needs to hear me say that I, I love her. And that brings such security into our life. And so we need to show love. But listen, it's not just love. We also need to set some limits. And dads, when you set limits, realize that that too, you may not think that it really comes across this way, but to set limits is also an expression of outrageous love. And all of us could step up our discernment and establish some boundaries that will spare our sons and daughters of a lot of heartache and pain. If, if your child, I heard somebody say this not long ago, if, if your, your child has been in their room for an hour and a half on their cell phone, texting back and forth, and now it's 9.30 at night, and they get up and walk through the living room, and they tell you they're going down to the public library to check out some books to increase their intelligence, somehow you got to become a little more discerning on that. How many of you are with me on that? hate to tell you this. They ain't headed to the library. I don't know where they're going, but it's not the library. Look at this statement. You know I'd have to work in some Chick-fil-A. I can't wear a Georgia shirt and not work in Chick-fil-A, so I'm going to work this in. Look at this. Truett Cathy, founder of Chick-fil-A, he said, Although it is often said, it bears repeating, children want limits, and they want to be able to respect the adults who set those limits. They want to know where the fence is. That's their security. And finally, they want to know what will happen when they cross the line. To set limits is not a lack of love. It is an increase of love. And I want all of you dads to hear me on this Father's Day. In this messed up, broken world we live in, being a passive dad is not the road we need to take. Some of you may need to step up your discipline. Some of you may need to say, you know what, I'm going to be more engaged. Some of you need to say, you know what? I'm not going to allow my life to become so busy and so chaotic that I don't know 
what's going on in the life of my kids. We only have one child left in our home now. And you could ask her. She's working down in the nursery this morning. You won't miss her. She's a beautiful young 20-year-old. None of you fellows get any ideas, or by the way. (laughs) She's wearing a Georgia jersey. And you walk up to her and ask, and she'll confirm this to be true. I am an unapologetically strict dad. And I plan on being that way. I'm not going to change that. Because I've seen it again and again. Bring security to her life. I've told Audrey, and I wish I had more time. We're out of time, but I wish I had more time. There have been times when I have watched Audrey as she asked me if she could do something she already knew that I was going to say no to. She had asked me, like, I'm asking him to do this, and I already know he's going to say no, and I don't disappoint her. I say no. But you know what I've noticed when I'm really dialed in? I've noticed so many times when she even turns her head and looks the other way, I've noticed times when she had a smile on her face because, first of all, she knew I was going to say no. And secondly, she needed me to say no. Does that make sense? Let me read one more statement from Meeker. There's so much, and time has moved so quickly away from us. Let me just read another statement, and then we're done. You'll see it on the screen, in fact, this one. She writes in her book, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, many fathers fear that enforcing rules on their daughters will only make them rebel. Some daughters do rebel, but not because of rules. They rebel because the rules aren't balanced by anything else. Look at this next statement. Rules can't be the center of your relationship. That's where love comes in. I heard somebody say this one time before. Rules without relationships equals rebellion. It's not that you give up on the rules. You just make sure there's a lot of love. I want to be an all-star dad, and I know that you will, and I know that many of you are. And all-star dads are easy to find. They're not like King David. All-star dads are fully connected. They love irrationally. They set limits without apology. They pray continually. They provide a godly example for their kids. And when it gets tough, They don't throw in the towel and give up. I want all of our dads and only our dads and granddads to stand now, will you? Our dads, our dads, would you stand? Everybody else, you can remain seated. And I want to say, I want to say to you, I want you to hear me say it, way to go. It's a tough, tough job, but I'm proud of you. And you guys are my heroes. And there's going to be so many times you're going to question yourself as far as, you know, am I a good enough dad? You keep working. It's never too late. You heard me say it earlier to be the kind of dad that you really want to be, no matter how old your kids are. And I want all the rest of us, let's put our hands together and let's fight for these dads again. I want all of you guys from the front row to the back and side to side. I want you to just covenant with God today and agree in your own heart and mind. God, I want to be an all-star dad. I want to be an all-star dad. You may not feel that way right now, but you can become that kind of dad. I know you can, and God will help you. So, Father, I thank you for all these dads. I thank you for all these granddads. On this Father's Day, we honor them. We celebrate them. We just pray that you'd bless their life. We pray that you'd give them wisdom. Being a dad is not easy. 
In fact, being a dad is tougher than ever. And we doubt ourselves. We doubt ourselves so many times. We wonder, do I need to show more love? Do I need to set more rules? And we're always asking. But we know that if we lack wisdom, your word says that you will give it to us. All we need to do is ask. In fact, your word says you will abundantly pardon it to us. So help every man standing here today to say no matter where I'm at right now, I'm going to be an all-star dad. I'm going to be an all-star granddad. I want to be the man of God. I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm going to make mistakes. I know I've made mistakes in the past, and I'll make them in the future, but this is my goal. I want to be an all-star dad. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Happy Father's Day. Hey, guys, don't forget, when you walk out, turn to the left. Don't forget your peanuts and your Coca-Cola.